Hello and welcome to this latest Pensions Expert podcast. My name is Nick Reeve and I'm your host for this discussion of how to incorporate social factors into investment decision making. Now we've all heard a lot about climate change and the importance of adapting portfolios to contribute to a better environment as part of ESG investing strategies. But the S element deserves more attention. The COVID-19 pandemic served to highlight inequalities in society, be it gender, race or wealth. Labour rights also came into focus with scandals such as fashion chain Boohoo's supplies breaking minimum wage laws. Here to discuss the importance of these issues for pension funds is Cardano Director Stefan Lundberg and John Houchin, Secretary General of the Council of Ethics for Sweden's National Pension Funds. Stefan, I'll come to you first. Why is it so important for pension schemes to incorporate social factors into investment strategies? Does it purely relate to the reputational risk? I think if you take a step back and look at it, a well-managed company needs to take all factors into account, also those who cannot be measured. And I think to be successful long-term, a company needs to have a purpose and a culture that find a good balance between all the factors to have a license to operate, to live in a somewhat symbiotic relationship with society. So I would say running a business is a decathlon. You have to be good at all factors, not just one of them. And I think that's also the social factors play an important role there because you cannot just look at the financial factors and other factors in isolation. And John, what's your uh, your take? Quite basically, I, I think most fund managers and asset owners and companies, they started with environmental issues a long while back because you can quantify it and, and people like to quantify things and you can sort of f- touch it and feel it. And social issues and human rights issues, you sort of start thinking about human rights lawyers and 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 tricky tricky issues, really sort of dangerous stuff that sort of scares you away. But really the world on human rights and social issues has changed a lot with the UN guiding principles on on business and human rights that John Ruggie published about 10 years ago. And But there are tools out there that makes these tricky issues a lot more accessible. And I think I think people should try to have a look at them. Well, let's stick with that then, uh, John. My next question is about how uh, institutional investors can best go about incorporating uh, social considerations into their strategy. So how, how do the, the AP funds in Sweden do this? We've had a lot of cases with human rights issues over the years that we've been working with, both within the council and within the funds. But actually, what what the funds have done, they've done a human rights due diligence procedure internally within the funds and the council as well to make an overview of where we have our sort of responsibilities when it comes to human rights and also where you have your salient human rights, your sort of core issues that you really should focus on. And I actually recommend that to the people listening to this podcast. It's 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 not really that complicated to do one of these human rights due diligence. There's a lot of sort of free information how to perform it. And you can obviously use some good human rights consultants to do it internally. Because, I mean, people have different portfolios. People have different holdings, different strategies. But it, but it's great to get a feeling of where you have your issues and, and what to focus on because you, you can't focus on everything and everyone has issues within the portfolios. So there are tools to sort of break it down to manageable levels and people should check them out. And Stefan, you've worked with uh, pension funds of all sizes. What, what's your experience? I think it's a big difference on what kind of pension fund you are. If you're a smaller pension scheme and you use a fiduciary manager, you have much less tools to put in. But what John says is perfectly a good idea. You should start looking where can the problem be? What what are the things that I'm getting worried about? 
And I think different schemes going to worry about different things. And that's not bad because if, if everybody focused on one thing, everything else is forgotten. So having a bit of diversity and what kind of human rights you focus on is also going to get more things happening. But I would say one of the most important tools are transparency. If we as, as a community forces companies to report more of this, it will help us do better things. It, when you shine in the darkest corner, the worst thing seems to disappear by itself. So that's a very good power. And also, I think we should work together with NGOs who are focusing on this. They are our best friends in this. They are the one who go out there looking and trying to find things and report it back. And then we can pick it up and start talking about it. And companies are quite sensitive to this. It's important also to know that there's a big push by NGOs and civil society to make this a legal demand in Europe on all European companies. And, and they're pushing the European Union to do this. And, uh, and I think, once again, there's I, my favorite catchphrase is always deal with pride. You know, check check what your peers have done. <laughs> it's it's not really that complicated. And I think you shouldn't be afraid about social issues and human rights because there's so many great examples out there. And and just saying that you found sort of salient human rights, what your key human rights issues are within your portfolio or or you know within your fund makes this topic so much easier because you can invite specialists that can help you with that. You can participate in in sort of engagements that are being run by PRI or what, whatever you have. There's so much going around on human rights. And it's better to sort of dip your toe into the topic and feel comfortable that you're sort of engaging and doing it than staying far away and feeling, oh, this is a tricky topic and, and oh, they, it's, it's, these are difficult issues, which I, I think a lot of people tend to do. It's not it's not only the usual suspects where you think it's deep down in the supply chain, far, far away from, from your daily routine. It's, it's front and center of the biggest investments most of us hold in our holdings as well. And I think another aspect of this is as well the tax evasion that a lot of companies are doing. It shows that, I mean, if you're part of a society, you should pay some taxes also in the areas where you operate to support the local society, whether it's sort of in Europe or somewhere else, instead of hiding everything in a tax paradise. And this is difficult discussions to have, but I think it's something we need to also bring to the surface. There's so much focused on, on ESG right now. And, and I know a number of companies, we speak to a lot of companies, they're quite nervous about this. <laughs> Because there's a minefield, minefield out there, and you can there's so it's so easy to take a step in the wrong direction and not do enough. And I know I know there's a lot of pressure on social issues right now, and there's a lot of reviews being done by companies to secure because nobody want, wants to be found out. And unfortunately, I mean we have, and I the last estimates I've seen, we have another 800 million seriously poor people on the planet, which means you will see more modern slavery more child labor and more people being pulled into the lowest regions of the supply chains of the companies who are invested in, in horrible conditions. And it's a bad story waiting for a lot of companies, if not managed in the right way. I want to pick up on a point that John made about climate change issues being quantifiable. And for the social side of ESG, I think it's fair to say there's still a concern in some quarters that these are non-financial factors, and so you could be giving up a bit of performance. Uh, does this hold any truth for you, John? No, I, I think it's a package these days, and, and 
even though there's a lot of hype about ESG, I mean, many investors who've been part of this community for a long while, they know how to manage this data and, and what to pull out of it. It's not a one size fits all. It's it's a bit of fine tuning around all the issues, depending on what kind of company you're looking at. And you need to you need to tailor it to your needs. But not looking at social issues is, is a big mistake. I, I think you, you can you can make money by looking at, at the, the social side of it. And I think, for instance, if you're a company where you have a supply chain that's depending on trucking in the UK right now, and you've you've paid over the top for a while, you've seen to that your truck drivers have got better toilets and resting areas to, to use while out there, and you have a good connection with the labor union that runs the trucking, and they're well paid and obviously you have a system up and running and you don't have it you don't lack any people working for you is that good or bad for your business these days i would say that's a big thumbs up so so companies that have been working with this for a long while will manage these kind of issues better whereas companies that have been pushing these kind of issues further and further down out of their responsibilities they they might be sitting on risk they don't really know to, how to manage now and obviously that's quite a blatant example but still it's out there it's not an or question financial consideration or non-financial consideration is an and question you have to take both into account the problem that john described typically happens when when you get a sort of the attitude in the company that profit is only thing that matters then you're trying to cut corners everywhere to sort of reduce you your, your cost and increase your revenue so you're going to look good in the sort of the in the financial balance sheet but that comes at a cost and that cost is typically the robustness of the firm when when things are changing a little bit and if we're looking forward with with climate change that's going to change a lot of things that how business are done and and if you are only looking at one factor you, you're going to be at risk when the situation you're in changes the, the whole idea with sustainability and ESG has been a repricing in the market because people didn't look at these factors before. And the few who did, they start, they positioned themselves that, hey, this is going to start to matter. And the more investors looking at it, you have a repricing. And if you were rightly positioned, you, you have done well. And most people who had ESG integration have done well for the last 10 years. But of course, it's a valuation issue. Has this sort of repricing, is it done? how much is left and so forth. And I think therefore as an investor, you have to be a bit of street smart looking at the full picture and realize that valuation matter. And there is no very simple formula that by doing this, I always will have good returns. And right now, for many good reasons, there is a discussion that there is an ESG bubble that many companies are overrated and a bit expensive due to their ESG ratings. But some companies with low ESG ratings might be seen deemed to be be cheap. So why don't you engage with them? And why don't you steal with pride? And why don't you ask these companies these companies why they're not doing a human rights review and due, due diligence? You, you tell them, look, your peers have done X, Y, Z. Your peers are ever having a good ESG rating. The, the share price is up. This seems to be a good ride. Why don't we enjoy the ride together? And you can speak to management. You can speak to the board and you say, look, we should do this ride together. We we're going to take you from here and we're going to move you three ladders up and the market will recognize you as, as an ESG mover and there's a premium to that. And you can play that game as well if you're a long-term investor. So there's many ways to utilize these and these are not complicated tools. I'm telling you, they're not complicated tools and you can look at your peers and you can look at other sectors 
And there's a lot of good stuff out there to just pinch if you want to. Let's stick with the engagement uh, theme. I wanted to uh, see if we could get a, an example or two of how, how the, the Council of Ethics has engaged and how the AP funds have engaged with uh, companies who were talking about the tech companies earlier. Can you give an example of a successful engagement um, in this area, how you went about that? So I think the tech sector is an important one. I mean, these are huge companies in in nearly every investor's portfolio. And um, one of the areas we started looking at about five years ago was the five, six years ago was was the tech companies. And, And we immediately recognized they were entrepreneurial driven. They grew very quickly. It was very difficult to communicate with the companies, to get a hold of them, to understand what kind of personnel they had, what kind of policies they had in place. And, and how they were working with these issues. So we made these expectations on the tech industry. Uh, the timing was good. About a year ago, we knew from our uh, dialogues with these companies that they were work in progress, but we wanted to push the whole sector. Ten months ago, we had uh, Facebook releasing their, their first human rights policy, and they've done a due diligence internally on Facebook. Obviously, the people working within Facebook on these issues, they have a lot of issues to manage. But that's how we operate with every company. We need to know that there's good people, people that have knowledge and the serious people that know how to operate these issues, and that these people have a mandate to change within the company and work within the company to ask the right questions, and that you start implementing policies and, and quite frankly, building a culture of responsibility within the company. Now, we see that within the, the, the tech giants. We've, we've spoken with these people throughout the year that we've had the expectations out there. And there's going to be more outcomes coming out from the tech companies as we speak. I'm waiting for some significant stuff coming out from a few of the players. And when you have a whole sector moving in that way, they sort of push each other because if somebody releases something, then all the others are expected to re- release a policy on the same topic. And you get that circle of nudging that nudges everyone forward. At Cardano, we are a fiduciary manager and we do not hold the stocks directly on behalf of our clients. So they're held through external managers. So we need to encourage our managers to be active in their stewardship. We have set an engagement policy on how we promote and monitor the shareholder engagement of our external managers. And and we expect them to actually use their voting rights and we're monitoring what they've done. So we sort of done a basic part there, but we're also stepping up the efforts now. And what we've done, which we think is kind of a good pilot project with one of our external managers is to implement the MSCI controversies data set and, and actually telling them, you're allowed to invest in these companies, but if a company's on the list, you have to explain why you invest in it and what you're doing to, to deal with the issues. And I think that sort of encourages and nudges the manager to actually do the right thing. I think that's just a powerful nudge. Wherever you are and, and whatever tools you have, you have to look around and say, what can I do with what I got? Even if you don't own the stocks directly, you own them indirectly. How can you make sure that voting rights and the shareholder engagement is done on the way that you like or your sort of clients like? Well, we've explored quite a few areas and and pulled on a few threads. Um, But I want to finish off by asking you both what you think is the big elephant in the room? What's the big big issue that we aren't really addressing at the moment? The the key one that's going to be 
really important for the financial industry is going to be diversity. And we really need to talk about diversity. Just looking at this podcast, we're three middle-aged white men having this podcast together. And that's not really going to work going forward. We need we need a much more diverse group that better reflects uh, our clients and, and our beneficiaries of the money that we invest. And I, I think all of us within this community needs to get better on that because otherwise this will not resonate within the wider audience going forward. I was just thinking about Greta Thunberg had this great speech recently, the blah, blah, blah speech, where she sort of mocked politicians of just talking and not taking action. And I think it becomes a risk that as as investors, we we can do a lot of stuff, but the one who holds the key to change is government with this legislation and regulation. Sometimes I get the feeling that particularly governments in some countries, they, they're trying to push the problem over to the pension schemes and they're saying, you have to solve this. You have to invest in infrastructure. You have to solve the climate change. You have to do energy transition. It's good that they put this responsibility on investors, but it's also good if the government would sort of live by its own code when it comes to policies in many different areas. I would say I think the institutional investors and pension schemes are ready if the governments decide to turn the key. This is the big elephant in the room, actually. We we all talk, but how can we start get doing things? And I think what John said was really good, that it doesn't have to be perfect. You just have to start. But we need to work together. The, the investment community cannot solve this problem. We need the politicians to take the lead. But once they do things, we're ready to follow and we we are positioned to help out in that situation. So less talk and more action is what I would ask for. I think that's a great note on which to end the podcast. We can all go and take some action now. Um, thank you to John and Stefan for your time, and thank you all uh, for listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.